T-D-I-B. T-D-I-B. Let's pray for a moment together. Father, as we bow in your presence, we are so grateful that you sent the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you to come. I often pray these kinds of prayers at this time of year, but they're so true. Your team was warning you, don't go up to Jerusalem. We got a bad feeling. You got a feeling that they're going to come for you. And you knew exactly what was going to take place, Lord Jesus, and yet you still went. Scripture tells us you went up to Jerusalem for me and for each person that's listening, knowing full well what was in store, knowing that the crowds that would welcome you as you came in on a bull rather than a white stallion as they thought you would, knowing that as they cheered you and praised God that just days later they would turn on you and that you would be sacrificed for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did that. And we praise you for your willingness to stand in the, the gap for us. And now as we come to your word, once again, we thank you so much for it. It's a precious gift. We pray that you would go so far beyond simple knowledge impartation. May there be life transformation. Because it's really empty to just know more about it, but not allow it to penetrate me and form me and shape me. So Lord, would you begin in my life, shape me in light of what you would have today, but do that for each person as well that's listening, that's watching online, <clears throat> that's here in the room. And so we pray that you would fill us now, speak to us as only you can, in Jesus' name, amen. T-D-I-B, the day in between, the day in between. Saturday, part of three days that changed the world. And I would argue, and I think even people that don't believe there's a God would suggest and have to acknowledge, perhaps they wouldn't want to, but they would have to acknowledge that these three days taken together have changed and impacted the world like no other three days ever have in the history of humanity. Last week we talked about Friday. Next week we're going to talk about Sunday. Today we're going to talk about the day after, the day before, the day in between. The middle day of the three days. And last week on Friday, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane and betrayal and Jesus' arrest and all the manufactured false trials that he went through through the course of the night before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, before Herod, before Pilate again the flogging, the crucifixion, the darkness, 
and the despair. But Sunday, everything changes. And the stone gets rolled away. And Jesus conquers sin and death. And nobody saw this coming. Even though Jesus spoke about what he would go through frequently, they weren't listening. Or they weren't. They heard it, but they weren't allowing it to penetrate them. And Sunday is the most death-defying, grave-defeating, fear-destroying, hope-inspiring, life-giving day in all of history. And so if there's anybody here with problems, or anybody here or online that needs some hope, anybody that wants to know about a day that will literally impact every day of your life going forward if you allow it to impact you and change your eternity as well, then come back next week as we're going to talk about, and the title of that talk next week is Day of Days. The Day of Days. But for today, it's the day after, the day before, the day in between. This is the day after a prayer gets prayed, but before it gets answered. The day after a soul is crushed, but before it gets restored and lifted up. It's a strange day, Saturday. It's the in-between day. And it's in between despair and joy, in between utter confusion and blinding clarity. It's in between bad news and good news, in between darkness and light, in between hate and love, in between death and life. And so much happens on Friday, and so much happens on Sunday. There's people that literally academics in particular, that literally spend their entire life studying just Friday. There is so much there. Or just Sunday and the implications of those days. But then there's Saturday. What does the Bible say about Saturday? Not a lot. But if you have your Bible, your hard copy, or your device, turn to Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. And Keshroy is going to read for us. You don't hear many messages on Saturday. 1,600 years ago, let me read some words from an ancient homily, which is just a fancy way of saying talk or message or sermon. But listen to what this person writes. 
from 1,600 years ago. What happened today on earth on Saturday? There was a great silence. A great silence and stillness. A great silence before the king sleeps, because the king sleeps. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembled with fear. I love that last line. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembled in fear. Consider Saturday with me, not from our post-resurrection position, but rather consider it from the perspective of the people who lived at that time. Friday has just happened, and now it's Saturday. I would suggest on Saturday, the disciples have not slept or slept very little in the last 48 hours. If you remember on Thursday, there's Passover, there's Last Supper, there's the garden trials that go on through the night, there's the crucifixion, there's Friday night, and they lay down to sleep. And how well do you think they slept as they laid down? Their minds are racing. Because they're thinking to themselves, Jesus is dead. And I have just left everything and followed him for three years. And it's all gone. And tomorrow after the Sabbath is over, more than likely, they'll be coming for me. And they will kill me too. During the day Saturday, I am guessing that they gathered together quietly. Quietly because they were afraid, but also because it was Sabbath. And I can just imagine that as they gather together, they begin to talk in hushed tones. Because that's how people talk when somebody just died. And I'm guessing that they begin to reminisce. And they begin to talk about some of the things he said. And the things that he did. And the miracles he performed. And the people he touched and the people he healed. And perhaps they begin to run through in their mind and remember what it was like when the most gifted, brilliant rabbi they had ever heard of or ever experienced tapped them on the shoulder and said, I want you to follow me, which was the highest honor in that society. That the, the best of the best of the best were selected for this, these roles. And yet they were unschooled, ordinary men. And yet this rabbi wanted us. This had never happened in the history of Israel. And they remembered their hopes and their dreams, and they thought, we are going to be part of the group that literally changes the world. It's entirely possible that they began to approach the subject of what went wrong on Saturday. They probably didn't want to say it out loud, but they're all thinking, Jesus blew it. He failed. He ended up an utter failure. He couldn't rally the people to his alternate way. The people wanted Roman blood. They wanted Roman conquest. 
They wanted Israel to rise to a place of prominence in the world scene. And Jesus had an alternate way, a way of love and a way of sacrifice. I'm guessing they also thought about their own failures, but they wouldn't want to speak those ones out loud because they were ashamed. They probably turned on Judas on Saturday. That scumball. He put the knife, he was with us for three years, and he put the knife in Jesus' back and in all of our backs as well. Our phrase today, the kiss of death, comes from Judas' act of betrayal in the garden when he comes and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And probably some of them said, I hope that guy gets what's coming to him. I wonder if all of that happened on Saturday. They're thinking to themselves, when they came to arrest Jesus and Judas betrayed him, he still said, and he knew what was going on, and yet it still says in the text, friend, do what you came for. Why did Jesus say to him, friend, do what you came for? Saturday is the day that the dream died. And the worst part of it is they really don't know why. And then they're thinking, when are they coming for me? But there's a reason for Saturday. Paul, in writing about it in the chapter on the resurrection, the key chapter in Scripture on the resurrection, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4, he writes this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay? Now, in other words, this is primary stuff. This is number uno stuff of first importance. In fact, he says in the passage, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is basically some kind of cruel joke. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Two times in two verses, Paul says all of this happened Friday, Saturday, Sunday according to the scriptures. This had to take place according to the scriptures. And if we search through the Older Testament, the 39 books of the Older Testament. There's several of these three-day stories. Let me just remind you of a few of them. In the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers get put in prison and they're released on the third day. Joshua sends the Israelite spies into the promised land. The people try to kill them, but they're put in, in hiding by Rahab and they are safe on the third day. Esther, this incredible woman of intelligence and uh, mind-numbing courage, when she hears that her people are going to be slaughtered, she fasts and she prays and she risks her life. And on the third day, the king receives her favorably. Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son. He makes the journey 
and he sees the sacrifice in the thicket that's part of the reason that his son's life is saved. And it all happens on the third day. In the book of Hosea, chapter 6, it says this. The prophet says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. This is a common structure in Scripture. On the first day, trouble. On the third day, deliverance. The third day is good news. On the second day, nothing. Now here's the problem with every one of those three doy stories. And I could probably pick out a few more. If you're living in the midst of those three-day stories, like the apostles are on Saturday, as the story unfolds, you don't know that this is going to be a three-day story. You just know that day one has happened, and you are now living in day two. And as far as you know, there is no day three, and there is no deliverance. And as far as you know, you may be in this situation until you get to heaven. And that's what's really tough about Saturday. Now, I sort of suggested subtly or maybe overtly earlier that nothing really happened on Saturday, but actually that's not the case. Let me tell you what happened on Saturday. Just listen carefully to what happened on Saturday. That's what happened on Saturday. Silence. After Friday, we cry out to God for help. Saturday is the path of silence, God. Some people describe it as the dark night of the soul. C.S. Lewis, incredibly famous intellect from the last century, one of the great intellects of the 20th century, Oxford Dawn, wrote many of the books that we read today, Mere Christianity being one of the most famous of them, converted to Christ, and in his memoirs, he writes about coming to faith in Christ, and he called the book Surprised by Joy. And when he writes about his story, when he wrote that book, and it's published, he lay, he, he'd been a lifelong bachelor his entire life. He writes this book. And after it's published, when he turns 57, he meets a woman. And he marries her. And her name was Joy. And as his friends said, you really were surprised by joy. Not, be, not just because of your relationship with Jesus, but this gift that he gave you in this woman that you married. After two years of incredible happiness with joy, 
he gets sick with cancer and dies a lingering, painful death. C.S. Lewis then writes a second book entitled A Grief Observed. This is a Saturday book, A Grief Observed. It's a Saturday book. And here's what he writes. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing God, so happy you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. I wonder what your Saturday is. You have a Saturday? Your marriage is going south and heaven seems silent. Your child is sick. That person you love, that you intended to marry, when you asked them, they said, no thanks. You lost that job that you always loved. That friend that was closer than a brother or a sister moved away. And it dies on Friday. And Saturday, it just seems silent. That's a type of three-day story. <clears throat> now on Saturday, we have choices. What are some of the choices we pursue on Saturday? Well, one that people often pursue is despair. Some people choose despair on Saturday. In the church of Corinth, you can read their story. Paul is just... A, He's just overwhelmed with these people. They got all kinds of issues going on in the church, but he writes in Corinthians about how some of them say there's no resurrection from the dead. They are part of the generation that actually saw this take place, and they've heard the eyewitness accounts. Again, I would suggest no ancient history is as well attested not only internally, but externally from Scripture as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're part of the generation when it took place. And yet some of them, because things are tough, are saying, that, I don't know if it really happened. And death to them has become the end. They're full of despair. They have no hope. They don't know how to deal with it. And so some people secretly live in despair and, and they're denying in the dark the things they knew to be true in the light. Another reaction is, and this is a very common one, especially in the church, for some weird reason, people have gotten the idea in the church this is the, the godly response to difficult things and clearly from scripture it's not. The next reaction is denial. 
Well, I'm just going to cling in the midst of difficult things. I will cling to simplistic explanations. I will cling to artificial pleasantness. I will sort of hydroplane over authenticity. And we think somehow this is very spiritual and the thing that we're expected to do as Christians, which of course is not biblical. People that live in this kind of world would want to take a book like C.S. Lewis's and burn it or throw it in the garbage. And they will come up with some false narrative to try and explain away or to minimize or deny even what they're going through. And they will say things like, here's some of the common expressions of the deniers. Um, You just don't have enough faith. That's why you're still sick. Uh, They'll say things like this. You don't need to hurt over the loss of your child because after all, you have other children or you can have more children. And they'll say these incredibly cruel things. Or they'll say things like this, well, this will just make you a stronger person. You should be thankful. Or they'll say, you know, uh, like the old song from 20 years ago, don't worry, be happy. Or they'll say, God knows you can handle this. Or one of the great lies that you've often heard me reference that's out there in the culture that time alone will heal this. What a myth, what a lie. The third way is the way I would invite you and invite me into, and that's to wait on Saturday. This is hard. To wait on the Lord on Saturday. Now, I want you to notice what I didn't say, and I want you to notice what I did say. What I did not say was wait around and do nothing. I said wait on the Lord. Waiting, biblical waiting, has absolutely nothing to do with being passive. Nothing. Biblical waiting when I wait on the Lord means whatever I do on Saturday, I do with Him. I work with Him even when He feels far away. I rest with him. I try to learn from him. I ask questions of him, even tough questions of him. After Easter, in two weeks' time, we're going to spend three weeks in the book of Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament prophets. And typically a prophet takes God's message to the people. Habakkuk does it the exact opposite. He takes what he sees going on and what's going on in the lives of people, and he takes the questions from that to God. And he asks tough questions of God. Part of waiting on the Lord can be asking tough questions of God. Part of waiting on the Lord means I obey even when I don't understand. It means if I need to, I complain to him, never about him, but to him. And there's a great difference there. If you read Psalms, the most common type of Psalm is the Psalm of complaint, or we sometimes call them lament. Lament Psalms are Saturday Psalms. God, why are you not listening? God, I don't understand. 
We can be with God on Saturday in the midst of disappointment and in the midst of pain in a way that's supernatural, in a way that's unique, in a way that's unlike any other day. And on Saturday, we begin to learn that he's our only hope. This is what the day after, the day before, the day in between is all about. The day after, the day before, the day in between is all about. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that Saturday was necessary according to the scriptures. It was necessary according to the scriptures for the Messiah to enter into Saturday, not to skip from Friday to Sunday. And I think that's how we often perceive it, that it just kind of skips from Friday to Sunday. No, according to the scriptures, the Messiah needed to enter into Saturday. In the book of Matthew, people are are saying to Jesus, give us a sign and I will believe. They say to Jesus. But Jesus knows because he knows the human heart, because he created us, that acts of power and supernatural displays, which still take place today, are important and necessary. And and, and in some ways, they, they will attract the human heart. They will show that our God wins and that the evil one doesn't. But those acts in and of themselves never transform the human heart. But there is one sign that does. And he talks about this in Matthew 12. He says this, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Resurrection. Another three-day story. And so the disciples are hanging around on Saturday not really knowing, forgetting that he has talked frequently about resurrection. And in a certain sense, as we live now, we are living on Saturday, waiting for our resurrection. And on Saturday, the ground still produces thorns. And as we head into the heart of spring, soon the dandelions will come and the weeds will sprout up. Another sign that we're still on Saturday. On Saturday, we will still face sin. On Saturday, our bodies still decay. On Saturday, if we cut ourselves, we bleed. On Saturday, the people we love die. And we live right now between Friday and Sunday. We live in the theological Um, can't think of the word. It's an apparent contradiction. (laughs) The already and not yet. The already and not yet. This is the theology of Saturday. We are resurrected and yet it hasn't happened. The miracle of Sunday is the dead man lives. The miracle of Saturday is the eternal son of God, the king of kings, lays dead. And the way he defeats death on Sunday is by submitting to death on Saturday. And so he says, whatever your pain, whatever your rejection, whatever dream has died, 
whatever longing is unfulfilled, whatever the failure, whatever the sin is that has not been dealt with in your life, whatever is the regret, whatever the shame, Saturday is not the end. Today is Saturday, but Sunday is coming. And so Jesus' word to us is don't waver, don't quit, and whatever you do, don't miss Sunday. Whatever you do, you can do a lot of things in life, whatever you do, don't miss Sunday. And the sad thing is, is many, many, many people miss Sunday. So how do you miss Sunday? You miss Sunday by rejecting the death that Jesus died for you. You, you perhaps labor under the misconception that if, if I just go to church every week, somehow that'll make me acceptable to God. Not true. Maybe you labor under the misconception if I'm just a good person or if I was baptized or christened or whatever when I was a baby, somehow that'll get me in. Not true. If I just give enough money to good things and do enough good things, somehow that'll get me in. Not true. Or some people live under the misconception, I have done so many sinful, wrong, inappropriate things, there's no way God could forgive me. Not true. All of those things I just said are lies from the evil one. And so we miss Sunday by never coming to the point in our life where we acknowledge very personally what Jesus did for us on the cross. Stood in the gap for us and no amount of church or whatever the case is, is going to compensate for that. We have to own our sin And if there's never been a day where we've sat down and said, yeah, I have done sinful things. There's nothing I can do to compensate for that. I can't earn my way out of this. I can't buy my way out of this. Forgiveness and cleansing is exclusively found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a day of reckoning where we stop and we pause and we surrender our life and we ask for his forgiveness and for his cleansing and this is what it means is, is I'm receiving him as my exclusive and unique savior. But it also means a surrendering of my life. Because it's just not some one-off prayer you pray. It's a giving of your life to him for the rest of the days of your life that he will shape and change and conform to his game plan and then for all eternity. And so... Um, I just ask you the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Not from me. It's right out of scripture. Have you ever committed your life to Jesus in that way? And see, when you stand before God one day, that's the question that's going to get asked. Not did you go to church, not did you get baptized as a kid or dunked or christened as I was or dedicated or whatever. It's going to be, did you bow the knee to Jesus Christ? Whatever you do, don't Sunday.
Have you ever committed your life to Jesus in that way? Don't leave here with that unresolved. Don't turn the TV off or the internet off at home with that unresolved. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to the people that will be at the front. Speak to the people you came with. How can I know for sure that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that will change me each day and for eternity? You're not certain of the answer to that question. It's time to get down on your knees and do business with God. The day after, the day before, the day in between, Saturday.